Welcome to the Personal Equity Podcast, where we discuss investing in yourself and building personal equity. We take a deep dive with our guests into their stories, careers, and lives from both a personal and financial perspective. I'm your host, Mike Troxel. Today, we'll be speaking with Alex Wicks, who is the CEO of BizHaven, an HR consulting company based in Sacramento, California. In our conversation, we covered mindset, delegation, and what it's like to be the CEO of a startup. The links and information in the episode can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. Hi there, Alex. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I love to start with the present. And if you could give listeners just a little idea of where you are now and what you're up to. Yeah. So I am currently the founder and CEO of BizHaven. I founded my company just over a year ago now. We're located here in Sacramento. We're this all-inclusive solution for HR and safety compliance, which sounds more boring than what it actually is. Our whole goal really at BizHaven and with creating this company was to make the most complex areas of business simple for employers. Kind of the more fun facts about us and myself is we just hit our one-year mark, I want to say about a month ago, and we're just shy of hitting a million dollars in an annual run rate and are, are on track to double this year. So exciting times over here for me and we're going to keep on moving forward. Wow. Well, congrats on hitting the one-year anniversary. And more importantly, congrats on hitting that $1 million annual run rate. That's pretty impressive. Can you give us an idea of what the business looks like sort of internally? Is it just you? Are there partners? Are there employees? Yeah. So I have a partner. We're a women-owned business, both my partner and myself. Started this together just over a year ago. I kind of came up with the idea after doing some market research and tied her in. So with that said, I'm more on the sales side. She's more on the service side. So we have really three legs of the business, if you will, from sales to service to operations. And so we have a couple of salespeople. We have a handful of HR, what we call business partners, which is a consultant, essentially, and a safety business partner, which is also a consultant. And then we have an ops person who kind of spearheads our marketing as well. So we have a team of seven currently, about to be eight in the next two weeks and planning to add a few more by the end of the year. So probably 10 to 12 people by the end of the year. Wow. So seven people already. And so it definitely sounds like a niche business. So how did you find your way in this business? Yeah, kind of a funny story. And there's two legs to this story, I guess, if you will. I got my first taste of HR and compliance working in San Francisco. I was working for a tech startup where it was kind of like my dream job, my first cushy job where I was a director of business development and thought nothing could go wrong. I was traveling the world and getting to be creative and made my first nice salary. And one day I had this employee walk in because obviously, as you know, with these new cushy jobs and a little bit of a promotion, you usually have more responsibility. So I had this employee walk in and was like, hey, I'm feeling like I'm being harassed. Do something about it. And I was like, okay, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> I've never really heard the word HR before. So really what I did was called my friend who's an attorney and I was like, hey, this employee said this today and she made it seem a lot more serious than what I thought it was. So that was my first taste of it. Where I really got to know and learn it was when my husband and I moved for his job to the Central Valley and I'd been commuting from the Bay to the Bay actually for about a year, which was a hellacious commute. And Really in that, I had to make a decision to leave my dream job and figure out what I could do next that would be more tangible and more in front of me versus spending six plus hours a day in the car. My friend was like, hey, I know you really got interested in this HR world when this claim came up because I ended up having to do all the research on it and found that I couldn't find any resources. So really had to figure that out myself. But that said, she kind of put in my lap that paychecks, you know, had this leg of their business where they focus on human capital management and tie in sales with that. So I became paychecks HR sales consultant. And that's really where I got to learn the intricacies of HR and got to be in front of other business owners hearing their pain points and their problems. And that's really where I found my love for this kind of world, because I found that you got to have not only the business component, but you tied in labor laws, OSHA, there's just a lot of different dynamics. And 
ins and outs. So it's never a dull day working in HR and safety as much as it might feel like that for other people. It's actually pretty exciting and it's always ever changing. So it really piqued my interest. And that's a decent segue. So I think it's safe to say, based on what I know, your time at Paychex, you adapted to the business pretty well and you fared okay there. Is that an understatement? Yeah, I think a lot of what I didn't mention is the reason why I liked it is because I became the number one HR sales consultant at a national company in three months. And I kind of remained there for the rest of my time there. So winning, it always feels good. And I definitely was doing that. But I think a lot of that stemmed from just purely finding a love for it and being interested in it and dedicating myself 110%. So it definitely was fun to be the best. And it kept me there for a while. So it's interesting hearing that from somebody else, I think would be hard to believe because I know you, that is very believable and not surprising at all. So that's interesting. I mean, the business is so complex. There's so many laws, you know, it's maybe on par or worse than like the tax code or something. So how did you adapt so quickly? I mean, three months from really not knowing the business to being the number one salesperson. No, that's a good question. And it's something that I teach my salespeople as well. Like my job is not to teach business owners California labor law or OSHA regulation, but my job is to really put the big items on their radar. So I always tell my salespeople, like, it's not our job to get into the weeds. It's our job to put things on their radar. And then we identify the problem and then we give them the solution, which is working directly with these subject matter experts. So learning it at a high level and things just in general for me, is what interests me. I don't get off on knowing every labor code. There's way too many. There are people that do it. I work with them and they're freaking fantastic. But if I want to do that, I'd probably just be an attorney. I don't like reading that much, to be fully honest. And I like human interaction. And I like helping people. And that's really where I excel. So just knowing business generally and the overall picture of a business and knowing the high level components of HR and safety is really how we developed is how I developed those relationships and then backing it up with vetted people who really know that space and not trying to pretend. I saw so many salespeople who tried to pretend like they knew every labor code or every labor law or every OSHA regulation. And my thing was, Hey, I'm here to talk to you about what we can do for your business, what we can do from a service perspective and then making that intro when the time was right to the actual subject matter experts. So just knowing your role and staying in your lane, I think helped me tremendously. And also just being a human and being honest with them. Like, hey, I'm not the person to ask when we're talking about this. I can certainly point you in the right direction, but we first got to get over this hurdle to get there, which is closing the deal. You dropped a couple of great nuggets there. You said not trying to pretend and also staying in your lane. From my experience, that serves you well, I imagine, both in sales and as a CEO, sort of not getting sucked into the weeds and keeping things sort of on task and high level. A lot of people, including myself, have a challenge with that. So would you have any guidance for somebody in sales or in a CEO role that's sort of getting sucked into the weeds or a salesperson that, like you're saying, is trying to pretend or is trying actively to understand all of California labor law? Like how would someone keep it to that level? I think for me, what I do well is, well, one, it's identifying my strengths first and foremost, and knowing what I'm comfortable with and what's natural for me. And if it's something that I can really retain and learn from, sure. But ultimately, somebody can't do everything. And knowing where your strengths are and capitalizing on those strengths is only going to do best for the business. I know a lot of CEO friends who have had failures because they've tried to kind of dabble in all sorts of things and they're scatterbrained and they're all over the place. So I think knowing where your strengths are and then being able to kind of distribute other functions of the business or things that you might not be as passionate about either to other people who might be is only going to enhance the business. My friends who have been the most successful do that very well. And so I try to really focus on those areas. And it's a continual thing. It's an everyday thing where I'm like, okay, where can I relinquish some of these duties? It's really distracting me or it's really bogging me down or it's really a negative part of my day to someone who might not view it the same, if that makes sense. So I have somebody who totally loves to look at data and decipher how it's going to impact the business long term. And that's really not where I like to be. I'm more of a creative. So 
it's my responsibility as the person at the helm to really identify that and then kind of assign it to the person who's going to get excited from it. You want your people to feel excited too, which is something I think I also look at. I don't want to just give somebody a duty or a task just to get it off my plate. I want to get this off my plate and give it to somebody who's really going to be passionate and excited about it and want to do it the best that they can. So there's a lot of different dynamics to that question. It's not just being self-aware, but it's also knowing your people and who's going to do what best and who's going to love what they're doing too. So hopefully that kind of helps in answering your question. I know there was kind of a lot of layers to that question. It's super interesting because on one hand, you're a very confident person and any task in front of you or most tasks in front of you, I would bet you're very, very confident that you can attack it. But on the other side, yourself or other folks in your position that have succeeded, it sounds like you're very quick to identify your weaknesses or your pain points or things you don't like and sort of get those out of your face. Like you said, let someone else do it, bring in another expert. And I think those are two sort of interesting and almost like opposite skill sets, but it does align with people that are good at being the CEO. Yeah, I think there's a big difference from confidence and having an ego, if that makes sense. Like, I could go into my business every single day and say, I'm better than the salesperson. I'm better at being thinking outside the box when it comes to our consultants. And I could look up this labor law just as well as you could, or, you know, reviewing legal agreements when working with my attorney. That's almost egotistical, in my opinion, for thinking that you can do everything. And it's really closed minded because that's just impossible. If you're going to do it well, you can't do everything. And for me, I'm confident enough in myself to know that I'm capable of maybe doing these. But I'm also confident and self-aware enough to say, this isn't where I want to spend my time or this isn't something that I'm going to be able to do 100% because I only have 25% to give. So I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the confidence thing. It's being able to know that you could do it maybe if you wanted to, but you just don't have the bandwidth or you're confident enough to say that your colleague could do it better. Yeah. And you also said something interesting where it's sort of, you know, let, let your employees or colleagues do something, but it also makes them feel good or feel empowered or feel sort of invested in the business. Yeah. I think that's super important in knowing your people and what makes them tick. Like I said, and I had this, I actually learned this in a business consulting meeting. We had brought on this guy, Craig Hedich. He's really well known in Sacramento. He really got me thinking this way. It's where everybody feels like they're going to be contributing, even if someone is contributing, but they're not excited about it, or they don't find value in it, or they don't want to be doing it, they're going to have a negative experience, which if you think about it, big picture, that's going to give them a negative experience within the company, whether they like the people or not. So finding everybody's strengths and where they might find their drive or what's going to make them want to go the extra mile is super important. And I've spent probably the last six months really thinking about that as we've grown. Like what are internal positions that I can open up for this person? Because this is clearly where they excel. And it could be totally opposite of where they came into BizHaven and where they started. And in that, I'll just give an example. I have a girl who came on board and she's very logistical, but she's a salesperson. And the way that she thinks and operates is very operational. And her and I sat down and really talked about her goals and where she wants to be for her future, not just personally, but professionally. And she shared with me that she wants to end up in operations, even though she's a killer salesperson. So her and I work together daily on not just making her the best salesperson so she can take that next step in growing in her career, but getting her to where she really wants to be. So a lot of her day-to-days is sales, but it's also funneling her little projects that relate to operations so she can get her feet wet. So when she's ready to make that transition, she's ready. That's a great example. No, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So like going back a little bit, let's rewind from when this idea to starting BizHaven first popped in your head up until launch time. So what was that process like? So when I first heard the word HR was at that startup, and honestly, I'd never heard it before. I was probably 25, which is probably late to not be hearing about HR. But that said, it kind of got my wheels turning when I was doing research just to find my own resources to figure out how to navigate this claim or this complaint. So for me, that kind of just put it on my radar. Wow, there's nothing available. There's nobody that I can call other than an attorney, which I didn't even want to call because it was expensive. I didn't want to go to a big national company because I needed service. And with these big national companies, you're not really going to get that level of service. I also found 
that people really didn't want to recommend or advise because they weren't trained well enough or they didn't have the appropriate resources. And these are local consulting firms. So that kind of piqued my interest in that space, which is why I went ahead and took that job at Paychex. And really from there, I took what I learned from a client's experience and just dove in deeper. So whenever I was in front of a client trying to make a sale, I asked their pain points. What have they used in the past? Are they happy with the current service? And really just kind of identified where the other gaps fell. And I really created BizHaven off of the solutions of these pain points, these problems. So that's how we came up with this all-inclusive for not just HR, but also safety. A lot of times people forget about OSHA and it's just as important as California labor law and employee relations. But in that, white glove service was a huge one. Nobody had help. Like nobody had somebody to go to who would really guide them through it. And someone who's been doing this long enough to feel confident to do it, to actually guide them through it. It's such a sensitive area where there's a lot of liability and people don't want to make a misstep. So my whole thing in starting this was I'm going to develop the most white glove hands-on service that's going to cover employers from A to Z for compliance. It's going to be not a plug and play, but a customized solution for their business. And we're going to be available to them. And it's really, that's why we've been able to bring on over 70 clients in our first year of business. And we've retained 90% of them, even through a pandemic. So the proof is in the pudding. People like what we're doing. People feel supported. They get the human elements, which I think is missing in a lot of businesses these days. So yeah, that's kind of how it all came together. Just identifying problems and creating solutions. And would you mind highlighting one of the differences? You know, you mentioned white glove a couple of times. So with like a larger national company, if a business needs an HR resource, is it a clunky experience? Are they calling like 1-800 numbers and waiting on hold? And with you guys, I imagine that's they can talk to somebody within 10 seconds if they want. Yeah, there's a lot of differences, but the main points would be there are call-in numbers. So you're getting someone who doesn't necessarily know your business. You can wait on hold. They could say they're going to get back to you. It might be two to three days our whole thing is proactivity. So we're reaching out to you. We're putting things on your radar because when you're calling into a hotline, you have to know what to ask. And there's too many things in California being as litigious as it is. And honestly, nationwide, whether it's employee related or OSHA related or just business related, and you're dealing with an employee, you know, you just never know. There's so many things and you have to know what to ask to get the right answer. And unless you're in it every single day, there's going to be things missed. There's going to be things that slip through the cracks. So our thing at BizHaven is same-day response. You have a dedicated professional working directly with you, putting things on your radar, but also taking your questions. And our turnaround time is significantly different. And then our service level, meaning these companies, these big companies, they don't want to take on liability. They don't want to tarnish their reputation. And neither do we. But that's why we put our people through extensive training. We continually educate we developed relationships with employment attorneys so that we're able to deliver the best and most relevant information. And if there's ever that moment of doubt where we think we might know the answer or what's going on and we're 99% sure, we can run it through an attorney who can really validate what we're thinking. So we just operate much differently and much more closer to the best with employers. And we know their business, we know their employees, we know them, and we really deliver this customized solution that is available whenever they need it. So as far as the timeline goes, roughly, if you can remember, what was the timeline between, I'm thinking about starting this business sort of popped in your head versus, okay, we're launched and we're ready to go? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, and no offense to my last employer, but I was always like, I can do this better, almost from like two to three months in. And I didn't mean this whole big engine. I never wanted to be a paychex where I had 8,000 employees. That's not what I mean. But my whole thing was I could do this better from a service perspective. I can deliver the clients what they need. I want to give them absolute experts in their field. Why am I not doing this? And to be honest, I was a true salesperson. I love money. So I was like, I'm selling a million dollars in a year and I'm only taking 25% of that. And so for me, it was, if I can sell a million dollars in a year, I want to take 50% of that, (laughs) you know? So the numbers made sense. The market was there. And I would say it was an idea for a year. It was a serious idea for about six months where I started building. And then I launched, which I probably launched way too early, but we figured it out as we went. That's great. You said you probably launched way too early. What do you mean by that? I think all 
new business owners will go through this and they'll know what I'm talking about when I say this. You think you're ready, but you're never ready. So that's why I say it was probably too early. I probably could have done a lot more had I been just more well-versed on what was to come. But that said, new business, you're learning as you go, no matter what, whether if I had waited a year or six months. So there were a lot more things that I probably could have caught in place that I wouldn't have had to scramble for, but I wouldn't change it really. We have been fortunately very successful and one of my strengths is problem solving. So that's probably why I'm okay with how it went, but hindsight is great and I could have probably got a few more things in place. And do you have any examples of challenges that you encountered? I mean, going from, okay, day one, what do we do to obviously now things are great, $1 million ARR. Like for me, for example, when the printer doesn't work is one of my biggest problems. So that's that's such a small problem. So how about yourself? Yeah, I think that for me, it was hiring. I think that even though I had been a recruiter in a past life, I had no idea how much different it was hiring for your own company and the implications it would have if you hire the wrong person. So if there's one thing that I can say, it's take your time hiring. And it sounds so easy to do. But now I don't hire somebody unless I've interviewed them five plus times, like at a minimum five times. And I get to know what makes them tick. I get to know where they think their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. And then what I perceive as their strengths and weaknesses. I mean, I get to know the ins and the outs, family dynamics, you name it, because that was my biggest mistake. I think from starting this business was just the how quick I was to get people on board just because I needed the support because we grew so quickly. And I wish I had just taken my time because it would have allowed for less distractions so early on. I'm glad you brought that up. And that seems to be the number one issue with business owners who especially are growing fast. seems like hiring is the number one problem. And you would think this day and age with you know, an app for everything and all sorts of technology and services and new businesses that there'd be some easier way to find and identify a talent. But it seems to be by far the number one issue people have. Yeah. And there's just so many layers to hiring from personality to actual like, you know, credentials and capabilities. And you really have to find the happy mixture of both. Like you can't allow one to be a little less than Because like, for example, I've met so many incredible HR or safety professionals who they just don't have that level of comfortability with working in front of a client. It's much different consulting versus an internal role where you can really work only autonomously in an internal role. It's very isolating because these people are handling the compliance aspect of the business. So they're not friends with everybody. And our whole goal is to be friends with the business owner, get to know their employees, get to know their businesses. So you really need to find this really mixture of almost like a salesperson and a subject matter expert in HR and safety, while also being a culture fit for our team internally, which is forward thinkers, people who like to grind, people who want to be collaborative, people who want to work autonomously, but also have that team camaraderie and work with the team. So there's a lot of different dynamics that go into this. And it is for every business. This is just ours specifically, but... There's no way you can know that that person's going to fit into each funnel by having two to three interviews or a quick phone call or or anything like that. You really need to get to know them on a personal level and their goals and what's going to make them want to overexceed and give to your business the way that you want them to. So it's a long process and it's something that I can't say is my favorite part of business. I do all the recruiting even still for our business and it's tedious, but it's also super rewarding when you do find that one person. And I know you have a little bit of other experience in recruiting as well. Is there any way you think the process can be improved, not just from an employer perspective, but from an employee perspective? And just to give you an idea of sort of what I mean, and I think this is fascinating, and it's one thing that's, I think, is definitely broken from an employee perspective. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with colleagues or friends or clients where, and you've heard it, we've all heard it, right? Looking for a job is like a full-time job. And it's almost exhausting for me on the sidelines, the different companies, different timelines, right? Different, uh, you know, I'm on the fifth round with this company, but I have an offer from this company or this last one just popped up. I would think the fantasy land would be something like professional sports where it's like, okay, there's a free agency period for two weeks and get all your interviews done in this time. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Just something I've thought about. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing, both from an employee and employer standpoint, in my opinion, is the lack of transparency. I go into every single interview being extremely transparent. We have this many candidates. We have this many people that might have similar experience or that have more experience being honest about what you're willing to pay and actually sharing the ins and the outs of the job, like setting that expectation on the front end is so important. And I think that's where a lot of employers go wrong is they oversell the job or they sell only the sparkly parts of the job, if you will, versus the actual goods and the bads. And that's something that I do right from the beginning. And I think that's what's helped me as I've learned. As a recruiter, I certainly was the one making the same mistakes of just selling like the good part of the job and only the flashy aspects of it, whether it's the pay, whether it's the free lunch that they get or the work-life balance. I think that for me now, I'm like, here's what it is. You're going to be traveling this much. You're going to have great clients and you're going to have really difficult clients. Here's what the day looks like. Here's what a light day looks like for one of our consultants. Here's what a busy day looks like for one of our consultants. I tell them we're a true startup. You're going to be working long days some days, but we respect your time when you need to take your time. Like I share everything that they should know so that it really is clearer from day one, which is really helping streamlining our process. I also think from an employee standpoint, it's knowing what you really want yourself and the culture you want to end up in, where you want to be in two to three years from then. And is this company going to be able to provide that to you and the environment that you want to work in outside of just the people? So there's a lot of things, but knowing what you want and being honest, I think are the two things that I would say are the most important. Not surprised, but it seems like you hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, transparency, I think would be huge because it seems like the employers are definitely the ones sort of in control of the process. But the more they can give, the more transparent they can be, the better the process, right? Being upfront with what the pay is going to be or what it could be. I think that's huge because for a lot of people, it's not worth going through six rounds of interviews and then finding out the pay isn't there. Right. Yeah. And I think that just sets the tone going forward. It's like, okay, well, what's this relationship or environment going to be like if they're willing to take me through the ringer and waste my time and then try to undercut me when we've had this conversation already? So I think it's best just to put it all out there on the table from day one and learn their expectations, meaning the employee's expectations as well. And in that moment, if they're well above what you're willing to pay, sharing that with them. Hey, like this was the range we were really expecting to pay. Is this a deal breaker for you after learning everything you've known? I have those conversations at the end of the call because sometimes financials for employees isn't everything. Sometimes it is. But selling the company and what the dream is and the vision and if they've bought in and and financials aren't the end-all be-all, they might be willing to explore. But at least at that point, it's their decision. It's not you dictating it and then trying to make them change their mind at the end of it. So you mentioned the vision of the company and not to put you on the spot here, but is there any specific vision for the company as far as a headcount or revenue or all the above, IPO? Is there any vision or just sort of keep going in this direction and see where it goes? Yeah, I get this question a lot. (laughs) It's funny, it could go both ways. And I know that's like probably the worst answer. And I say this because I'm really proud of what we're building and what we've already been able to build. And if I had this company that had a fantastic reputation, who was still servicing at this level 20 years from now, where I'm making a comfortable living, I would be okay with that. That said, if we also grew exponentially in the next four to five years and went that route and sold for 10 plus million dollars, hopefully more than that, but I'd be okay with that too. But it would have to be the right deal, if that makes sense. Like I would never want to sell to somebody who's going to want to come in and ruin our reputation or where I'm going to have to answer to somebody and they totally change everything that we've built and I'm not going to be happy with it. I've heard that from a lot of friends in the past. Like, don't ever sell your business if they're not aligned with you, if you lose control. So I think it just really depends. And I'm open to both. We're one year old and I get a lot of feedback that you should already know what you want when it comes to this. And I just don't. And that goes back to what I told you earlier is this is the truth and being extra transparent. But I'm okay with where we're at and we're continually evolving and I just take each day at a time. No, I do love that answer and I'm a little biased. There's someone I really respect. They talk about growth without goals. You want to grow, you want to move forward and be in control of what you can be in control of. But sometimes big goals take away from the process, right? And if your only goal is selling in seven years, then it might distract you from other things. Or if your only goal is X, it might take away from, again, it's your baby. It's what you're building. You enjoy it. And so I like that answer. I think it's absolutely okay to not have a specific goal in mind. In the same way, I don't have a specific goal. 
I don't know the future. I can't tell the future. So Right. I've seen my friends go through the process of raising capital and trying to sell. And it totally takes the focus away from the actual core competencies of the business. And it suffers. And whether it's a service or who knows what it might be, what aspects of the business might suffer. But I know that it's going to be a lot of my time. And I just don't have that kind of time to give right now to really go down that path, which is why I'm like, okay, I'm going to have an open mind. And as we grow, maybe if I bring on more bodies, that might be something that we could entertain. But right now, my focus is building a legitimate business that offers a great resource for employers. We build this reputation within our community. And then really from there, we can figure it out. And I think that alone will also help if I do go down the road of wanting to sell the company earlier than later, just because at that point, having a great reputation does go far and numbers speak for itself. And so while I'm working on bringing on more clients and sales, I'm only building my case if that's a route that I decide to go. Awesome. Awesome. So if I pick a random day in your calendar, three weeks from now on a Wednesday, for example, what would Alex Wicks's day look like as the CEO of BizHaven? It's pretty unexciting and exciting at the same time. And I'll say because Well, every day is different. The only consistent part of my days are probably my morning and my work week in the sense of its schedule. So Mondays and Fridays, those are dedicated office days, the teams all together. Those are days for building team camaraderie and being together, collaborating. And then Tuesday through Thursday is really our work from home days and our time to really be in front of clients or be meeting with prospects. So my Wednesday would probably look like me waking up at 5.30 like I do every day, answering my emails while I'm laying in bed still. After about 30 minutes, I take my dogs for a walk where I like to enjoy my coffee. I try not to take my phone, usually about 30 to 45 minutes. And then I come back and uh, typically work in a dark room, (laughs) which I know I've told you this in the past, but I'm somebody who operates much more efficiently with no distractions, curtains shut, door shut. And I kind of just grind and don't really leave the room, which is probably not the best answer, but it's the truthful answer. And I do that till about six o'clock. Of course, this is if I'm not out meeting prospects, but that's typically what it is. It's answering emails, reviewing contracts, forecasting, you name it. I kind of fit it all into my day. So I definitely want to talk about investing in yourself personally, but I guess first I'm interested in investing into the business. And I've gotten a little bit of an idea that you definitely prioritize that. But can you talk a little bit about that? Like, for example, you get five new clients next month. Revenue is obviously good. It continues to look good. How do you think about that as a business owner, taking profits, giving people raises versus we're going to dump it back into the business as far as like adding staff, developing new systems or other resources? It's changed significantly, I'll say, from month to month, but especially since we've started. I remember six months into the business, my partner and I, we were definitely in a position to take a salary. And I was somebody that was like, we're not taking a salary the first year, no matter what. And that was because I was way, way more conservative. And I remember speaking to another CEO and he was like, compensate yourself. Like, you need that. Like, you've been grinding 15-hour days. You deserve it. Compensate yourself. Be responsible with how you compensate yourself, but do it. So I took his advice and we did it. And, you know, it helped significantly, not just for myself, but my partner as well, seeing things coming in as a reward, whether it was much smaller than a salary than we were used to in the past. But it meant so much more to us than just getting a big sales check that I used to get from paychecks. It was like, wow, I'm really taking something that I truly, truly earned in every aspect of the word. So it really made sense after we did start taking that small salary, the value in it and its tangible value. So it changes each month. Now it's about people. It's about bringing new people on board, exercising new resources, whether it's outsourced IT or looking at a bigger office space. So it just depends. With COVID happening, it kind of delayed some of our growth or where we would have put our money just to be on the safer side. But that said, we were hiring during COVID as well. So it's totally dependent on what's going on internally and when you can bring somebody on board. I'm never going to offer a position to somebody if I know that I'm not going to be able to financially support them. Like I never want to make that mistake of growing too quickly. But I also need to be responsible enough to know when we're busting out of the seams. So thinking ahead is super important when it comes to this. And the beauty of being a business owner is that we can really determine whether or not we're going to take that salary. But it's something that we can fall back on. That said, I don't want to do that after learning about how much it drives you, if that makes sense, seeing that check come in, which has allowed us just to continue forward. But I'm a big like take care of your people first, take care of the business first, and then reward ourselves after. 
So it's a mixture of everything and doing your best to kind of predict the future, which is silly. But, you know, if you make a misstep, it's fixing it and just going from there and continuing on. How do you think about celebrating the small wins? Like, for example, and I don't want to let this go in this conversation, but you've built an amazing business. I think you launched when you were 28 years old, and it's worth highlighting, you're a you know, female CEO. I mean, there's a lot to be proud of there. Do you ever have to sort of force yourself to sip a glass of champagne and celebrate the small wins? Or is it more sort of focused on keep trucking forward? Yeah, I think that was something that was ingrained in me, like honestly, in a sales role. It's such an emotional roller coaster, sales is in itself. And I think it relates a lot to being a business owner. You're going to have your lowest points in the same day that you're going to have your highest points. And those highest points can be those small wins because it's the one thing that got you through your day, which I look at as a win. And I do celebrate those moments, but I don't let them distract me. I'm always thinking, okay, what's the next win that I can get? So yeah, I acknowledge them, especially if it's something that's been brought in by a team member. I think it's important for them to know where they've contributed to the business growing or where they contributed, whether it's learning something new for the business or adding value. So yeah, we definitely celebrate the small wins. We have a Slack going every single day. And every time we get a sale or a client feedback that's positive and it's glowing, we put it in there and we as a team congratulate whoever it was that brought it in. I think it's really important to do that. So yeah, we focus more on the wins than we do the losses, but we definitely bring those losses to the forefront and make it a positive. Okay, what is it that we did? What can we do better? And how should we handle this the next time this comes up? Which if you think about it, when you can spin it that way, it really does become a positive because it's something that you can handle. It's something that you can fix. It's something that you can do better. So to your question, yeah, we definitely celebrate the small wins probably more than even the big ones. And we probably celebrate them even the same. They're just more frequent, the little wins than, than the big ones are. So jumping back a little bit, so 20-year-old Alex or 18-year-old Alex, if somebody was in your shoes, is there sort of a path or a curriculum you would design that you would help someone get to the point that you are now? Say there's a 20-year-old girl that wants to be CEO one day. Is there a course you would recommend or a class or even career guidance you would give them to work towards where you are? Yeah, I think for me and anybody, Education is funny. I definitely believe in it. And I think it's the right path for a lot of people. For me, it wasn't. Where I found my successes, and I've been utilizing my network, if you will, my entire life. I wasn't someone, I wouldn't say like that liked cut corners, but I wanted to get there faster. And the only accelerator that's been able to like really get me to kind of cut those corners or get somewhere faster or learn quicker was asking the right questions, being in front of the right people, utilizing their networks and just putting the time in to really get to know people and learn from their experiences. I think the more that anybody can do that, the better off that they'll be. So really tapping into people who have been successful, people who have had trials, tribulations, people who have had big wins, people who may have started five companies and failed them all and learning why they failed. I think that is probably something I would recommend. It's definitely something that helped me in my career and something that I still to this day utilize is asking those questions and being in front of people that I look up to. And that's incredibly valuable. And, and I've heard some people half joke, but I know deep down they're serious that their Twitter following is more valuable than their college degree. And there is truth to that, right? If you have 100,000 people that are paying attention to you and want you to succeed, that is more valuable or a really strong network. I mean, nobody can take that away from you. Right. It's almost another form of education too. And you're getting it directly from somebody who's had that experience versus someone telling you what to do. It's like, okay, how can this person relate to me? What is applicable to me and the person that I am and my strengths and my weaknesses and plugging and playing each person's experience to your own and then trying them out is almost like a class designed for you to kind of take that next step in your career or personally as well. It is interesting. I mean, you can learn more in one year of running a business than you can in 30 years of studying business. Yeah, there's no doubt in that. <laughs> the goods and the bads. Like, it's funny, I've sat on so many panels and like, well, what did you learn in your first year of business? And I honestly, I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. I always say this to them. I'm like, what do you want to know what it was like on day one, day two, day three? Because each day truly was a huge learning curve for me. So you're absolutely right. It's something that you know, it's the greatest challenge I'll ever probably go through, but it's also the greatest reward. And it's because it takes you through every single challenge. It makes you think 
outside of your box differently. There's just so many things that go into that first year of business. And honestly, even into our second year, and I'm sure there's more years to come with this, but being involved in it and having to make these big decisions and really thinking ahead and trying to predict the future because that goes a lot with business as well. And there's so many things that people don't realize. And to your point, you could never teach that to somebody unless they're just learning it as they go. You highlighted something, networking and relationships for yourself. And I think that's a good segue as far as how you personally invest in yourself as far as, and it doesn't matter whether I like the answer or not, but that would have been my guess for you is one thing that you have always prioritized is the relationships, friends, colleagues, mentors. You seem to have a massive Rolodex. You know, A, do you want to elaborate on that? Or B, are there any other ways as far as like business or career-wise that you make investments in your own growth? Well, I think for me, this is why I had a problem in school. I couldn't get into books. Like no matter what the book was, I couldn't get into books. Honestly, some podcasts I couldn't get into, audiobooks. I tried everything. And for me, where I found that I was the most engaged and the most interested and the most that I could relate to was hearing people's stories, which is I think truly why I've been able to meet as many people as I have who have taken an interest in me as well is that I genuinely care and want to learn from them. And it's helped me tremendously. And how do you think about investing in yourself or taking care of yourself as far as relationships or physical health or mental health? For example, it could be like a spa day or something like that. Are there ways that you allocate time or money towards sort of taking care of yourself? I think for me, being able to take those weekend getaways, which I probably should do more often, but finding that quality time, I'm a quality time person with my husband is something with my phone shut off, my computer shut off. Just a couple of weeks ago, I realized that I was getting way too in the weeds of work. I was getting stressed. I was feeling bogged down. I was waking up negative. And for I, we ended up just taking a weekend trip to Santa Barbara. And it was a way for me to not engage with work, which people have to do even when you're running a company. And we did yoga on the beach. We went for walks. We did nature hikes. We did all sorts of things that allowed us to be outside, have that quality time, and really dedicate a solid 48 hours to no work, which is really hard to do. But I came back feeling energized, way more refreshed, way more focused. So it really made me feel like it was okay to not work, which I haven't felt like that in a long time. But I need to do that more often because it only bettered my performance that following Monday. That's interesting. I mean, I'm noticing a theme in a couple of these answers. And it seems like you have a really good talent for drawing lines as far as, you know, you know you're super confident, powerful, take on the world but you're quick to draw a line and like delegate tasks where you're not maybe the best or an expert. And even with your work week, you work a ton. You mentioned grinding. You may work very long hours, 12, 15 hours some days, but you know, you're good at drawing the line and like going to go away with my husband this weekend, try not to look at my phone, relax, yoga on the beach and sort of a, almost a polar opposite. So it seems like you're really good at just drawing a line. Yeah, I think I've gotten better at that. I've learned even when I was in the sales position before I started the company that I would work myself to the bone and then I'd become miserable and this would go on for months. And as much as I was making sales, I didn't feel good about my work. So being able to identify that because if you're not feeling good about your work, you're not feeling good just in general. You're not feeling mentally healthy. You're not feeling physically healthy, honestly. So for me, if I'm starting to feel that way, I can identify it a lot quicker and almost I look at it as a necessity for business, which is my whole life is revolved around business as a necessity for business for me to get back to that mentally and physically healthy place. So I have to prioritize it so that I can hit the ground running that next week. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, to think about like you are your biggest asset, right? And you are your company's biggest or one of the biggest assets. So the more you take care of that asset, the better for you and your career and your business. And sometimes taking care of it means yoga on the beach in Santa Barbara. Totally. And I think that if people can identify the indicators as it starts to build, like I notice about myself, I become more irritable, I become less patient, I become distracted. And if people can identify that earlier on, they're going to be so much more productive in the long run. And I've gotten, like I said, better at that. So yeah, being able to do that is going to be just as important as you being able to work those long days for sure. So thinking about like a future investment. So if I gave you, we'll call it $10,000 or three days off from work where no work problems came up and you had to allocate that time or money towards 
a personal investment? Is there anything that jumps to mind sort of where you would put that as far as like a vacation, a conference, a book on the beach, a new skill, anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I would probably, not to be cliche, would probably take a vacation. I love to travel. I would probably go somewhere in Europe. I love food. I love wine. I love culture. I love history. So being able to get up and go and experience that is one of my greatest passions. So for me, that's what I would do. And I would dedicate that 10 days to go there. I'd probably still be working. I'd be lying to you if I wasn't. But taking my husband and getting to do something like that would definitely be up there for me just because I really don't get to do that that often with what I do. I try to do a trip once a year and it's for that reason. It's so I can go and experience life and feel good about myself and that I'm learning something as I'm over there so that I can come back and dedicate myself to work. So uh, what's your favorite place in Europe that you've been to? That's tough. I probably split between two places. I went to Lisbon, Portugal a couple of years ago, and it was amazing. But I also went to London in the same trip, actually. So I started in London, went to Lisbon. And London is just one of those cities that, you know, it's fast, it's got culture, it's got fashion, it's got food. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I liked the British pubs. And it's just got a really good energy. And I would probably say that's my favorite place. Awesome. Awesome. So we're starting to wrap up here. As far as like outside of the office goes, is there anything that excites you or interests you that maybe your clients or coworkers aren't aware about? <laughs> That's tough because most of my excitement comes from the office. I guess this is a little bit more new, but my husband and I are starting a family. So that's probably been the most immediate exciting thing for us is finding out that we're having a baby and planning for that on the personal side, which honestly has probably been the first time in the last year that I've been able to really focus on something within my personal life that's really like taken me to that level of excitement. So that would probably be it right now. And I know you have a soft spot for some other little furry animals as well. Yeah, my dogs bring me daily excitement. (laughs) Those are my kids right now. And they're what get me up in the morning. They're the time that I get to spend every day dedicated to them for that 30 minutes that we go for our walks. So they definitely contribute and bring me a lot of peace of mind in my day. And they always start my day off right. And when I get home from a long day, they're always extremely excited to see us. That definitely helps too. And so does my niece and nephew when I get to see them. I should put that plug in there too. Beautiful. They're going to be listening to this. (laughs) And so any current interesting content, it doesn't have to be work-related, any favorite sort of movies or shows or industry publications that you're sort of reading or consuming? Yeah. A new fix that I've had, my husband actually told me about it, is of the podcast, How I Built This. It's probably one of the first podcasts that I've been like all in on. It's entrepreneurs sharing their stories. They're from multiple different industries, several different backgrounds. And it's something that I really truly enjoy listening to and hearing how people got their start and the trials and tribulations they went through and how they became successful. So I would probably recommend that. And not to put this on your shoulders, but if I was listening to you on how I built this in a couple of years, I wouldn't be totally surprised. Oh, well, well, thank you. I hope I hope that's the case. And I'll definitely put that in my goals list is to end up on how I built this. <laughs> Beautiful. And as far as me go, is there anyone that you would love to be a guest on this show or for me to interview that you would A, think I would enjoy the conversation or B, that you would enjoy listening to? Yeah, I think that honestly, I always recommend him because he is a five-time CEO. He has a startup that's four years old and he's already making $150 million annually per year. And it's Greg Connolly. He's the CEO of Trifecta. He's been an incredible mentor for us here at BizHaven. He's helped us tremendously. He's helped me personally tremendously just thinking outside my own box and looking at business as a whole. He has great insight, feedback, experience. He'd be the person I would say you should probably talk to. Wow. And how'd you meet Greg? I met Greg through my network. So I had actually reached out to somebody who was in this group called EO, Jeremy Perkins, who owns Precision Medical Products. And him and I were going to meet just about BizHaven and and our services. And he looped in Greg to the meeting as well, because they just got out of this EO meeting, which is Sacramento EO. It's a group of CEOs that get together and share their experiences. But Jeremy brought in a couple of his CEOs. So 
that's where I met Greg and I really tapped into their community because it's a great group of guys and women who obviously have been very successful. So definitely people I want to be around. And so you and I may have different tastes. So I'll flip the question around. So if you had your own podcast or you don't have to record it, I guess, your own sort of chance to sit down and pick someone's brain or interview somebody, anybody, who would it be? Up until about three weeks ago, I would have said Sheryl Sandberg, but because I've been listening to the How I Built This podcast, I would have to say Joe Malone. She's kind of somebody that not everybody's heard of. You might have seen her products. She developed these really high-end, organic, all-natural products for candles, body lotions, and her story is really amazing. And I really enjoyed hearing her journey and her successes and her challenges and she'd probably be someone I'd want to dive into a little deeper than what I even heard on how I built this podcast. I love it. And so about to let you off the hook here. Is there anywhere online where people can find you or learn more about you or your business, whether it's a social media or website or any of the above? Yeah. So BizHaven has a website, bizhaven.com, but we're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, which you can all access through our website or even on our LinkedIn. So We're pretty easy to find. If you just search us in Google, all of our social media platforms will pop up. Yep. And BizHaven is spelled B-I-Z-H-A-V-E-N. So I have to ask, I obviously love the name. Was it difficult coming up with the name or how did you land on that? Yeah, the name was hard to find only because so many other businesses have all these different names. And I wanted it to be really easy and straightforward and also encompass the meaning of what we're doing. So BizHaven just made sense from a business's haven, or really that safe haven for employers to come to. Because when you're dealing with labor law and OSHA, and there's a lot of variables and things that you don't know, and it's a lot of worry. And our whole thing is come to us, you know, allow us to give you back that peace of mind so you can sleep again at night and we'll kind of focus on the rest. Beautiful. And any parting thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, no, I just, thanks for having me. I thought this was really cool. And I really enjoyed being able to talk through my past year. I haven't probably sat down and thought about really what that first year looked like, to be honest. So it was really fun to kind of look back at my year in review and also talk about the future. I don't do that as often as I should. So thanks for having me on here, asking me these questions and allowing me to kind of experience this with you as well. Well, it's great having you, Alex. And we definitely have to have you on again, maybe in a few months or years. And so we can compare notes on this episode versus your future ones. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll have you be my moderator for when I'm on How I Built This. (laughs) All right. Take care. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to today's show. We hope you enjoyed it. All of the show notes and links can be found at personalequitypodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to share it with a friend or leave a review. Reviews help the show get noticed. The best places to leave a rating or a review are iTunes or Spotify. Mike Troxell owns Modern Financial Planning. All opinions expressed by Mike or guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of modern financial planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.